<laughs> Welcome to Facing Fear with Sarah. My name is Sarah McInerney Hawk. I am your host. I went from 30 flirty and thriving to 30 flirty and surviving. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 30, and prior to that, I had faced a lot of fears in life, which led me to creating this podcast in 2019. Fast forward, here we are many years later, and I've interviewed over 100 different guests with many stories of how they face fear while remaining unapologetically authentic. That is what we are here to do, encourage you to live your life unapologetically and authentically. The Facing Fear world recently got a little bit bigger because a new part of it is in the world, and that's my book, my very first book. It's called Does Carcinoma Mean Cancer? It covers the four days between being tested for cancer and finding out that I had it, and the funny things that happened in between. Well, you know, funny, happy, sad, etc. It can be found anywhere on Amazon, and it's a graphic memoir, which means it is 70% art, 30% text, and it's 74 pages long. So it's something you could read in one sitting, revisit multiple times because the art has a lot of dual meanings and I'm so proud of it. Go check it out on Amazon or facingfearwithsarah.com backslash book. All right, let's get into this week's episode. I am so excited to share this incredible conversation with one of my really good friends, Danny Haig Rauerdink. She and I became really close during our senior year at Ball State, and it's just so awesome because you make all these friendships for four years, and senior year is kind of like, okay, like going to ride with my people, like that's it, right? And you don't really expect to make a bunch of new friendships, especially when you're all about to separate. But that's what happened to Danny and I, and ironically, her husband and our great friend, Austin. The four of us became really close as we watched those two boys barely try and get A's, and Danny and I, on the meanwhile, were freaking type A as type A gets, um, barely getting by with A and B's. But anywho, that's to refer to our college competition days. But Danny and I had something really similar happen to us. We were both expecting to be 30, flirty, and thriving, and instead, our health took major declines, life-changing declines. As you guys know, I was diagnosed with cancer, and Danny suffered a seizure that came with no warning, no prior history, nothing that changed her life and her lifestyle completely. So she and I share this incredibly unique bond where... We, you know, we did the college thing. We got good grades. We eat healthy. We work out. We got married. We bought a house and we are trying to do our best. And life just came around and hit us so, so, so hard. So that's why the title of this one is 30 Flirty and Not So Much Thriving. So please give a very warm welcome to my dear, dear friend, Danny. Is it seize the day? That's not the title, but honestly, that's a good guess. Um, you should have a shirt with that on it, I think. Seize the day. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. And now it's just kind of an ongoing joke, like between my dad and I, where we're just like, seize the day, but don't have a seizure today. And it's just like, all right, like you kind of have to find some some clever thing to say or, you know, just throw in a little bit of humor. And at the end of the day, it's like, I'm going to cry because it's true. But yeah. <laughs> 
Like I'm seeing a shirt that is this like puffier, bigger font, like light colors, yellow and pink and something. And it says seize the day. I think that that would be cool. People would be like, oh, look at her, like seize the day, whatever. And, you, and then you'd be like, ooh, but it has this double meaning. So what's up, you know? How awful would it be though if I was wearing that shirt and then I had a seizure and then people would be like, was this her medical bracelet? Like we didn't know. And then the ambulance guys get there and they're like, oh Jesus, these, these millennials and their influencer life, they can't stop. Oh my gosh. Actually, that would be so awesome. See, that would be a good story though. So that's all that really matters. Okay, so anyways, I think I'm going to name it 30, flirty, and not so much thriving, because that kind of happened to both of us. <laughs> and not thriving. I love Isn't it. Isn't that good? 30, flirty, and not. Yeah, it's, it's super Right? Funny. Like, we, we turned 30 and, like, shit hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. Were you 29, though, when, like, this started happening to you? 28, 29 is 30. Like, it's 30. You were, you know, you were, like ushered into this new decade of life with a bunch of bullshit as was I so <laughs> just when we thought we knew what we were doing and then they were like 30 drop a bomb all of these health issues start and you're just like how do I all of a sudden I mean it feels so cliche to say it but it literally feels like 30 and like all of a sudden the minute we turned 30 like you said shit hit the fan and it was just, I mean everything just imploded and it was like wait a minute no like I have a great job. I'm married. I'm privileged because I'm white and like everything, <laughs> everything was going my way. And, uh, but you know, it, it, I mean, it, it doesn't pick and choose. Danny writes to me in her form and you wrote it beautifully, of course. I'm just going to read the whole thing actually. So she says, I am 30 years young and a reprising cliche that life has just begun. In the past couple of years, my life has upturned into an explosion of vulnerability after repressing too many years of anxiety, depression, and PTSD. This past year, I was diagnosed with a seizure disorder. What's your seizure disorder called? So epilepsy or seizure disorder is what it's called. So focal impaired seizures, the type of seizures I, I would say that I have. So then she goes on to say, since then, I have been on a journey to take these seemingly broken pieces of myself and making the uncomfortable stranger, wait, and making them the uncomfortable stranger at the party that no one knows how to tell how to leave. Rather than shooing the stranger away, I am learning to accept them and allowing them to grace. Throwing the broken pieces away does nothing for me, but if I mend them with gold, what and what is this word? Kin to see? Kintsugi. Um, in Asia, like when you look at, they use this term, literally it, it turns into mend with gold. And so when pottery breaks, for example, they literally take gold and mend it back together. So you- Yeah, they do. Yes. And it just looks like this really festive, cool bowl or cup, like coffee cup or something. But it's literally a traditional way of mending broken pieces together. But I actually learned it in therapy from my therapist. That sort of reference is still kind of similar to human beings in the human life. Like we are all going to have broken pieces and it is frustrating to not know how to put yourself back together, but you have to learn to mend with gold. But instead of thinking that you're going to be this whole person again, you just have to learn to be this whole person that has broken pieces rather than thinking like, oh my gosh, finally my life is back on track. Like I'm myself again. And it's like, no, you are not yourself again. Like you have a broken part of you. All that you did though was learn how to make it become you. It's just a, a way of accepting that there are parts of you that are broken, but 
you're willing to be half a person at least (laughs) to try and keep it all together. Oh my God. I love that so much. And I've never heard of that. And I know exactly what type of art you're talking about though, you know, and that idea of putting yourself back together, but with gold now, like being perfect, perfect doesn't have gold in it. You have to be broken in some places or break down completely in the case of both of us to be shattered, but to be put that back together with gold. And oh my gosh, I relate to that so much, especially right now, because I'm about to be done with active treatment. And a lot of people in you know the cancer world, breast cancer world think like, yes, I'm going to be back to the old me. And that's like dead. Like, like Taylor Swift says, like, <laughs> The old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. Like, that's me. But now I'm going to be a piece of art with gold in it. Oh, I love that. Wow. Okay. The interview's over. We got enough knowledge from you. <laughs> you know what? I don't, yeah. Don't give me Elmer's blue. I want to, I want some blue gold, gold blue. Like, give me that shit instead. When you started having your seizures, that was, was it more than a year ago or less than a year ago? It was the day after my first wedding anniversary with Travis. A year later, when you're supposed to be celebrating your first wedding anniversary, everything was great. Somehow I I said yes to Travis wanting to go golfing and it was really cold that day. And so I was like in November in Indiana, <laughs> you know, it, it made him happy. So that's why it made. So I, I gave him that we had a good dinner. Everything was fine. Uh, the next morning I woke up and I went to vote. This was also the day that my mom came back home from her second kidney transplant. And so after voting, I went to my mom's house to go take care of her because it was her first day back. You know, she was going to be bedridden, kind of half working, half taking care of her, half watching TV in the background. And I'm looking at the TV and all of a sudden the TV just looks really weird to me. Like things were out of the TV and like they were just in the room rather than being in the TV. And the next thing I know, I wake up on the floor and there are four EMTs around me and my mom is on the floor like crying and so my poor mom she couldn't walk so she was seeing like her dog went to her which is just amazing so another reference to how great animals are her dog like ran into the room and like was pouncing on her and like telling her to wake up and so my mom had to crawl out of bed to me call 911 and then I wake up there are four EMTs around me I'm still in a state of shock like I don't know what's going on And the next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance and I'm on my way to Community Health Network. (laughs) So even in that moment, I just didn't know that it was a seizure and seizures are different for everybody. The nurse comes back because I went through a CT scan and they were like, we found a mass on your brain. And that's basically all they said. And I was like, uh, (laughs) like, what do you mean you found a mass on my brain? And she was like, well, now we have to do an MRI to figure out like what this mass is. And so in between the time of like hearing that news and like waiting for the nurse to come back and and get me to go in for the MRI, the whole time Travis and I are sitting there in shock and I was like, oh my God, I have a brain tumor. And then the first thing I thought of was my life insurance policy. (laughs) I don't know why. And I told Travis that and he looked at me and he was like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) I was like, sorry. Wait for the news. And this nurse comes in and she goes, oh my God thank God you do not have a tumor. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Like, thanks for telling me. And she started crying and she was like, I did not want to have to tell a late twenties year old woman today during a pandemic that she had a tumor on her brain. I was like, yeah, me too, man. (laughs) 
Okay. What? No offense, but that is absolutely not professional and that is not okay. And I think at that, that moment too, like the hospital was just crazy. And I think the nurse, to the nurse, I mean, her emotion that day. Okay, you're right. If I'm putting myself in 2020, yeah, you're right. You're I think right. at that point, she was just like, out of all of the shit that's going on in the hospital, this is the last thing I want to do right now. And so when she came out kind of crying, she was like, it's okay. It's just a brain calcification. Like it, all, it almost looked like she was relieved more than me. And I think it's because maybe I was her like least difficult patient <laughs> because of COVID. So I think that in that moment, she just, you know, relented and, and just kind of had to, to gas out as far as just like letting the, her emotions get out. So regardless, um, since then, you know, I have a great neurologist. I've had, you know, great providers through community and through JWM Neurology. Shout out community. We love community. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the the long, short story of, of how it all went down. When you think of seizures, you think of the movies, right? And like one of the first things you think of, unfortunately, is The Exorcist. Did you ever see that growing up? Oh my gosh. It's one of my, what's so funny about that is like, it's one of actually my favorite Halloween movies. I love love scary movies i'm i'm a fiend for it and that is so funny that you said that because i that's kind of how i had to explain it to my friends i was like if i fall down and look like the devil is inside of me and you need to like feel like you need to put like holy water all over me don't just put me on my side (laughs) and just leave me there for like four minutes you know one to four minutes but yeah it does typically look like that however um obviously please tell me that movie dramatized it right Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I my I I don't convulse like that. That's for sure. Yeah. So mine, at least today, come in the form of something triggers me and I convulse. Um, and before I convulse, I actually have an aura, so I know when it's going to happen. And so I see an aura, and then I see a, this is going to sound like a horror movie. I literally, it's like a nightmare playing out before me. It's like I'm having a nightmare, like I'm asleep, but it's in front of me. And then I and then that's when I go. Um. But for some people, having a seizure is just, you could easily just be in a simple conversation with somebody. They don't convulse and they just look like they're spaced out and nothing happens. It's like they just can't talk and it's literally looking like zoning out. And that doesn't mean I want anybody to feel like if they're zoning out, they're having a seizure, but it just, you can tell like it, it's happening. And so then they kind of come to and they're just like, oh, like, what's up? And I mean, there are just so many, so many ways, but for me, when it comes to the anxiety, depression, the PTSD, it's all about time. It's just like, is today going to be the day that I have another seizure? Like, oh, I'm in a grocery store. Oh my gosh. Am I, am I going to have a seizure in front of all of these people? Oh my gosh. If I lose control of my bowel movements, like this is so embarrassing. What if somebody's around me and, and they don't know that I'm having a seizure and, and don't know to roll me on my side? Oh my gosh, like there's so many lights in this place and now I'm getting dizzy. Does this mean I'm having a seizure? There's there's never a moment in there's never a moment in any hour that I'm not thinking about it. Ever. Never. It is constantly on my mind. And I think for me, it's just kind of like how we talked earlier about it's the uncomfortable friend in the room and you don't know, or the stranger in the room and you don't know how to tell them to leave sitting with it for me is very uncomfortable, but I have to learn to sit with it. And there have been many times still to this day where it's like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Go away, go away. 
and it just gives it kind of more energy. And so I've, I just have to learn to sit with it, but yeah, that PTSD definitely comes from, um, just any situation that I'm in where I feel uncomfortable and then just having flashbacks to, cause this year, um, I've had four seizures in the past. I think in the past six months I've had four seizures. I had to have the EMTs call me once again. It was while I was asleep in bed and Travis had to call EMTs. I woke up, there's throw up on the side of my face. Um, so that happened. It happened while I was in the middle of a meeting at work. Um, like I had a blog out of WebEx, um, just, you know, you just never know. Um, but ever since changing my health, like for that year, like after COVID and, and after my first seizure, my depression and my anxiety just skyrocketed. I mean, I ate like shit. I gained so much weight. I was not sleeping. I have terrible insomnia that I'm still working through and my, my self doubt just really drove my, my entire routine. And so in the past, I want to say in the past eight weeks, I'm eight weeks seizure free, which is awesome. Ooh. Um, I love it. <laughs> um, but my, I changed my diet. I am healthy. I pray and meditate and it just makes, it makes a world of difference when you start taking care of your body. Like it is just night and day, absolutely taking care of your body it can just change, change and move mountains for sure. Eight weeks free. That's awesome. I went on seizure medication and then I was like, I'm not going to have another seizure. Like that was just such a random thing. So I just kind of dabbled in my medication. It was like, oh, I forgot it today. Like I'll definitely take it tomorrow or there'd be two days where I'm like, oh, I'll just take it, you know, after two days. And what I have learned is that when you stop seizure medication, it makes it worse. Getting a lazy ass, like truthfully, when I have more of, and I started drinking more, that's when the more these past four seizures happened was in that state of mind. So I had to go back to the neurologist. They had to, you know, up my dosage for Lamictal, um, which isn't fun. I mean, when you think of seizure medication, it is literally brain medication. Like it, it literally hits the electrolytes in your brain and make sure that the appropriate messages get sent to make sure your brain functions. And so it's, it's not, it's a, it's a kind of a scary drug. Um, it's intimidating, but medication, 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 stay on your fucking <laughs> please. I saw this on social media somewhere and it was a comedian and he was saying, you know, I've struggled with this and that and whatever. And he goes, you know, so many people would always say to me, aren't you afraid of the side effects of, you know, the medication for depression? And he goes, <laughs> how about the side effects of depression in the first place? <laughs> I'm more afraid of those than the medication. And yes. I also went on medication for the first time this year for anxiety and depression. Although I'll truthfully say, I don't think I've ever really struggled with it until this year. And I, mine was definitely side effects of chemo for me. And I tried to like mm -hmm. decline it and stay away from it for a while, but it was incredibly helpful. And I'm still on one of the medications for depression and it mm -hmm. is very helpful to my life. The anxiety yeah. one I came off of, but I came off of it to the book of what they told me to do. You don't just stop yeah. it one day yeah. like you're saying. You know, there's a way to work yourself on and off of these things. And I feel yeah. like people misunderstand that sometimes. And yeah. yeah, medication is very helpful if taken as you're supposed to from someone you trust, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, titrating up and titrating down is really difficult. 
I definitely had to like work up my dosage and oh, see, so you know, all the beautiful words. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I only know it because I hear it all the time from my neurologist, just the consistency being regimented. And also to your point about side effects, the great thing about doctors is that if you have side effects that you don't like, they can recommend you new medication. (laughs) So, so I'm on Lexapro, a pretty low dosage because my seizure medication actually also has certain side effects that can help with anxiety and depression. So I, I kind of just have a mixed bag of how that works. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really important just to stay consistent. Um, definitely always talk to your doctors. I'm best friends with my therapist and best friends with my provider because I annoy the shit out of them. So they know they, they can probably speak to it a lot better than me, but yeah, take your medicine. (laughs) Take your medicine. (laughs) Well, do what you can, but I want to just say something before we dig back in. So before the last, (laughs) before the last recording stopped. And we were talking about how my mom made you a chicken pot pie. So you texted me and said, hey, can you pick me up from chemo today? And I was doing something. And then I asked Travis and Travis wasn't nearby. And I was like, shit, like, I don't, oh my gosh, like I, I need Sarah to get picked up. And we're very, we're, you and I are very like-minded. Oh my God, I did the thing. What's it called when you switch up the letters? Like-minded individuals. Where I was like, I have to figure this out. Like I, I need Sarah to get picked up. And so I texted my mom. I was like, hey, do you remember Sarah that I talked to you about? Like, she's going through chemo right now. Um, And my mom lives like five minutes down the road from community. And I know that you live near that area, too. And first thing she said was, yeah, absolutely. Does she want a chicken pot pie? (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't like multiple text messages. There was one text message. And her response was just, yeah, does does she want a chicken pot pie? I don't know what it was, but she was like on a, on like a two week kick of just like, just baking out the oven, these chicken pot pies. And I mean, it was just, it was so funny. I was like, yeah, um, here's the address. She goes, Oh, I know where it's at. Cause she went to community for her kidney transplant and that's where her doctor is or not for her kidney transplant, but that's where her, what's her kidney doctor is. And she's like, I know exactly where the cancer center is. It's <laughs> like, Okay. And then that was it. Like that, like she didn't even say like, text me back and say like, okay, drop Sarah off. Did it like, I didn't hear from her. And so I called her the next day. I was like, <laughs> is she okay? She's like, yeah, just gave her the chicken pot pie. And uh, she, she gave you like the pot chicken pot pie cover. And <laughs> this woman made this pot pie. And I was like, oh, chicken pot pie. Like, okay. I literally don't know if I've ever had that. And the only recollection I have of that is my dad eating like microwavable mini ones when we were little. And it was always like, gross, go away. But oh my gosh, it was pie. It was pie. It was beautifully done in this beautiful ceramic pie holder thing. I'm not a baker, obviously. And then, yeah, she brought it to me in a warmer. And I think she gave me cookies as well. But she was like, I'm so sorry. They got a little burned. And I was like, oh they're fine. But yeah, the pie was incredible. And she should go on a year round kick of making them and sell them because it was so delicious. And now that you're saying this, like I remember eating it. It was so good. Oh my gosh. What I'm so disappointed in though, is that I have never had the chicken pot pie. (gasps) She is robbing you of an experience. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
okay, she has to make that for you like today. I'll I'll text her and tell her. Yeah, that would yeah, that would convince her actually. She's like, oh Sarah, yeah, I can do that for her. No, she's 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 the nicest human being I've ever met. She's so funny. Anyway, I just had to who's also been through some shit, you know? Oh, she has seen some shit. Oh my like it doesn't even begin at the whole Kenny situation. She's had she's had a life and so just, you know, and I think too, looking at your family members and your loved ones when you're going through hard times and experiences. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And I know that I think I said this to you even where I'm like, oh, like, is this even important? Like, you know, this isn't cancer. And you actually were the one who, in so many words, but very nicely said, shut up. Like, that is not what this is. <laughs> like, and it's just, but it's so true. Like, when people say that sometimes, we're like, but you know, it's not cancer. Yes. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that your situation is isn't as bad or isn't as good and it's 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 just kind of this phrase that people go back to and when you said that to me it taught me I was like you know what yeah like this is this is my enemy like this is this is what really trips me up in life right now um and so you were actually the one that kind of pushed me to be like even though it's not cancer it's still something that you are working through and that you are struggling with. And it literally doesn't even take over you physically, but with mentally and emotionally, I think for me, that's the biggest challenge outside of the physical part, the mental stress and, and trying to disarm yourself as much as you can from attaching yourself to your mind literally seems impossible. (laughs) And that is, that is just such a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that that helped you see it in a different way because I had so many people say to me, you know, I, I, I just don't want to burden you with this, that, or the other anymore. Or, you know, oh, my day was stressful, but you know, not to compare it to your situation. And it's like, that's the thing about baggage is first of all, it's invisible. So you have no idea what mine looks like. I don't know what yours looks like. And second of all, because it's invisible, it. I don't know how much yours weighs and you don't know how much mine weighs and to compare Mm -hmm. them is impossible because we're not living each other's experiences. And yeah. Yeah. So when people would tell me that, I'd be like, no, tell me what's going wrong in your life because there's a lot going (laughs) wrong in my life. So actually, I'd love to hear that you have a shitty life too, you know? Yeah. I've learned, you know, a million things, but yeah, when people are going through really hard things, don't just start treating them like a five-year-old. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like for me, I mean, I suppressed it for so long. And I'm, I remember like when I was like 16, I went to my dad and I was like, I need to see a therapist. Like I don't feel good. And I think back then, I say back then, like it was so long ago, but really it was like, you know, 15 years ago, which kind of sucks saying that out loud. Um, I mean, I don't feel, I just don't. <laughs> yeah. Amen. It's like, oh, now I feel bad about saying that. No, I you know, thinking about mental health and how we treated it 16 years ago or even 10 years ago, it's, it's not the same that people are doing it now. Like it's such a big conversation. And, and I think it makes people uncomfortable to be like, oh my gosh, like you have anxiety and depression and PTSD. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, why is it so relieving to hear? Why is it so good to hear that? And to your point, you know, it's just kind of like this invisible force around you, but everybody has it. Like, and, and, one everybody in their life at one point will have anxiety and will be depressed about something and so kind of breaking that stigma 
of just being like sitting there like and I have I've had plenty of conversations with family and friends where I'm just we'll be in the middle of conversation I'm like yeah but you know you know depression and anxiety am I right and like make fun of it (laughs) and one of my cousins even said like I, I didn't realize you had depression and anxiety like I'm so sorry and it's just like don't don't be sorry like it's okay like I laugh about it because it's just so fucking stupid that you have it and you have to deal with it. (laughs) It's just, it's kind of hilarious at times, just how awful it is. And you just, yeah, I know I just ran on a rant, but it's just, it's a conundrum. It really is. How on earth when you were 16, because we're the same age, did you identify that you needed that type of help? I, that's a great question. I think first it was just how I viewed myself, like my body, like while it was changing and like hormones and, you know, oh my gosh, like my body's changing. It just feels, it just felt weird. Um, and I think for me, it was just how other people would perceive me. Um, I was just really, I used to be really nervous around people. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted to be a very likable person. Um, and it was just, it was really hard to just be on all the time. And so I, I save face quite a bit. So I, I look like I'm happy. I'm, I have all of this energy, like I'm excited to see you and everything. But the minute I would get home, I just felt absolutely exhausted. And I would just sit there. And for some reason, I was just like, I can't talk to anybody anymore. I don't want to look at anybody. I don't want to hear from anybody. I just would ignore people until the next moment I had to like step out and like save face again. And I think once I realized that I went to my dad and said, you know, I really think I need to talk to somebody. And my dad looked at me and he was like, you don't have anxiety and depression. And, and I love my father. My father is my best friend, but like, I can absolutely see why so long ago he would be like, that's not, that's not you. Like you don't have that. You seem so happy. (laughs) And so I kind of just shoved it away for a little bit. Um, And, you know, it, it was kind of always lingering. And then college, I think we, I think you and I both had anxiety and depression really bad in college and working so hard to just, you know, achieve so much. And so, and, and try to impress people and impress ourselves. And I think it was just, it was just putting so much pressure on ourselves. I think that really just started triggering everything. I think your dad probably, not to speak for him, but he was probably scared too, you know, of like, oh my gosh, my kid could possibly have this. And especially, you know, quote back in the day, 15 years ago when we were 15 and 16, those words were super serious and they were very untouchable and very fearful. I actually had an interesting reaction from my dad too, except for maybe not interesting, kind of predictable, but... He also really enjoy my dad, very thankful for everything he's given me and everything that he's taught us. But when I, so I've sent out periodic, very in-depth updates of what's going on with my cancer to a particular group of people, you know, my siblings, my mom, one of my aunts, my dad, et cetera. And these people get like all, all the details. And one of my latest ones was before I started radiation, I had said, you know, I'm going to do this many rounds of radiation and here's the side effects. Um, The next step after radiation is this medication I'll have to take. And because of that medication, they want me to work off the anxiety medication that I was on, which was called Ativan. 
And I said, you know, I'm going to follow my doctor's calendar of how to work myself off of it, but I'm going to stay on the depression medication. And his response was, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were taking those things. Try to get off of them as soon as possible. Those things can be addictive. And I'm like, and, and I'm shortening what he said, but I was like, you don't, I obviously know that. And my doctors have been very helpful and very open and they've worked with me. I think a lot of people assume that doctors right. just peddle this stuff out and I'm sure there's plenty out there, right? Yeah. We've heard them all on podcasts, but I think the benefit of you and I being a little bit type A, very trying to have control is that we want to be a part of the mm-hmm. process and we want to know what doses we're trying to take and if it's working, if it's not. And anyway, so when I worked myself off and stuff, it was just, yeah. it was kind of like the comedian, right? Who was saying, you know, what about the side effects of actual depression, not just the medication? So I, you know, kind of responded back to him and I was like, respectfully, you don't know what you're talking about. And this has been nothing but helpful for me. And this is how I'm moving forward. So thanks for your support, yeah. TTYL. But just interesting, you know, when parents kind of get involved and um, their thoughts on it. And it's changed over generations. So I definitely have sympathy and empathy for yeah. their thoughts on yeah, all Yeah, absolutely. Of it. And I think my parents have definitely, especially my dad, so because of my seizure disorder and especially because of all of the seizures that have happened within such a short time frame, I actually – work at my mom and dad's throughout the week every day so travis in the morning before work drives my ass to my mom's house drops me off and goes to work so that i can have somebody with me in case a seizure happens and he does the same thing with my dad and so being with my i literally in some ways live with my parents again but the fact that they now get to see me going through this and like all of my concerns and like sometimes I feel lethargic and exhausted from taking the medicine and there are short times in the day where I feel like I need to lay down because I get dizzy and fatigued. Um, my parents now kind of have this this telescope of my life on me to be like, oh, like this is what she's talking about. And my dad has grown so, so much And I mean, I don't blame his ignorance. We're all ignorant about something and we all have to just take one day at a time to learn and, and, you know, to forgive ourselves, but, but to talk to people and have open conversations and learn to be vulnerable, but for him to kind of see it and witness it, and he's much more open to talking to me about it. He now will initiate the questions and he's very engaged in the process. He does his own research, like he'll YouTube stuff now and like what to do in the, in the middle of a seizure. And um, you know, when, when to do this, when to do that. And so them becoming a part of the process and very engaged with the process has been, I mean, it's just the, the greatest love that a parent can give. And so they've been, they've learned a lot, but they've also taught me a lot too about being a good parent. So they're, they're wonderful. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. Oh. <laughs> good. That's amazing. That's so great. You had mentioned basically living with your parents again, and here we are, right? Like we went to school, we got really good grades, we got good jobs that we like, we have our own salaries, making our own money, we both got houses, we have husbands who are really great guys, like we're, we've, we've got all these amazing things going for us, and then both you and I's health went meow, like in our late 20s, 30s, and now, you know, like you're having to ask for the assistance of your parents again, like you are in high school. And I've had to ask for the assistance of my younger siblings, which I'm, I've almost never done because I'm the oldest and, you know, you carry on and all that shit and you set an example. 
how do you grip with things exploding when we're right at the age when we're supposed to have it all together? Back to what we were saying at the beginning, ignorance. What ignorance? Like, of like, it doesn't matter how everything looks so picture perfect. Like, s- something eventually will become your kintsugi. Like, like, something eventually will become that broken part of you, that that imperfect part of you, that you are you are willing to shine a light on to say this is this is my part. But but it has history, and I give it love, and it's a part of who I am. But you and I are. I hate being taken care of, by the way. First and foremost, hate it. I don't like being taken care of. I feel useless. It hurts my pride. And because I loved, before all this, I so now I can't drive, but I loved running errands and like I loved going outside. I loved having my alone time and like, you know, just being by myself and, and doing what I wanted and going to concerts and going to the grocery store and like, Every single one of those things I just mentioned now has been absolutely impacted by this. And so I think when I'm looking in the past at like myself and my character, my personality of knowing that I could take care of myself and taking care and take care of others more, I loved that part of my life. And so the biggest implosion for me is the fact that people have to take care of me. Like it is so fucking weird <laughs> and I fucking hate it. However, I only hate it because there are moments where I feel useless and I, I want to be able to like drive my husband to dinner and like, you know, be romantic that way or like do something for my parents if they're not able to. Um, I think that is the thing that my pride takes the biggest the biggest beat to, I would say. But I mean, I, I would think the same goes for you. But I mean, what was what's your current implosion as far as just, you know, now that you're going through radiation and things seem like they're on the up and up. Like, has it, do you feel like at the end of it, when it's all over with that, you're just going to be like, all right, I'm done. Like, I'm good. (laughs) Like, I mean, how has it changed you and your perspective going forward? Mm, So very much. I will be a, okay, Kazuki. Mm -hmm. And I, I was going to send you a good link. It's from an, I'm trying to think of the author who taught me this. And I think it's actually. Our boy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I whose, think it's him. Whose name I just can't grasp yet, and I've I've typed they, into Google, but yeah, it's it's. Tick not Han. Han. Yes. Tick not yes. Han. Tick not Han. Tick not Han. Our boy. So, okay, wait. We'll come back to him though. So I'll answer your question while you're looking for what you're looking for. Um, yeah. I was. So when I was turning 30 in August of 2021, it had already been a hell of a year because we moved our wedding all the way to April 2021 after getting legally married in 2020 of May. Then we looked for a house, which is a job in itself. Then we finally bought a house. Then we redid a lot of our house. Then I changed in jobs. A great, in a great market, by the way. Yeah. 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 In like the world's worst market ever. Then I changed yeah. jobs. So like by the time I had gotten to my 30th birthday, I felt like it was a graduation and I was, I deserved to be 30. I earned this decade. I learned so much about myself and through everything in my 20s. Like I did it all. I felt so proud of myself and I was ready to just kind of hit cruise and chill. And then I was diagnosed in October and 
it never really bothered me. Like, yeah, it sucked to be like, I'm 30 and I have breast cancer because even though I know plenty of people younger than me with breast cancer, 30 still is on the very young side. Yeah. But I never really thought like, oh, you know, this is a decline now that I'm 30. I was supposed to have it all together. Now I don't until I turned 31. And then I started thinking back about my 30th year. And that it actually makes me mad. Like it makes me mad that my 30th year was spent majority of the time worried about my health going through so much physically and mentally, I almost would love to have a redo on my 30. I wouldn't change anything, of course. Like I would still take the diagnosis, the whole thing. But I'm like, man, now I'm 31. Like that was my 30th year. Everybody's like, I'm going on an expensive trip with my girlfriends and I'm doing this and that. And like, that's not fair. I had to do all this when I was 30. So I want to do a re let's do a redo 30th. Like let's pretend one day, one day we're 29 and let's do a redo 30th birthday. Yes. I totally agree. Cause it's just, it was like, so I mostly feel like it's not fair, but life isn't fair and whatever. Now, where I'm at now is um, I am incredibly proud and now I have a word for it and an art picture for it. I don't, I will not be the same. I never will be. I, I mean, I have literally fake boobs. I don't have any hair anymore, although it's growing back. Yay. Um, That's great. But thank you. I'm completely different and I'm okay with that. I I would wrap it up by saying I walk a very thin line between having a full heart and a broken heart. And that's kind of the best way I can describe it, especially right now. At the time Danny and I are recording this, I'm only two weeks away from my diagnosis anniversary and I'm only we're only a day away from October. So I have a lot of, I literally am walking a tightrope between a broken heart and a fulfilled heart. So that's the, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, no, but I appreciate that perspective. It's just, and it's also just really funny that the way that you just put that where, you know, it's like the the anniversary of my diagnosis, like, isn't it so interesting that the day where, you know, shit hits the fan, you make it an anniversary. Like I've (laughs) like, it's like, but that anniversary stays with you. And that's not a, it's not a good or bad thing, but I, I mean, I think in some form or fashion, that is a part of PTSD in a way to be like this, it's coming up. It's coming up because I remember when I got to my second year anniversary, I was like, Oh, like this is the year, like this is the day I had the seizure, but it actually should be my wedding anniversary. Like what terrible anniversary. To have together. Well, speaking of fulfilled heart and broken heart. Hello. <laughs> wedding anniversary, life hitting the fan anniversary. Great. They're basically the same day. Yeah. But I think it's worth also those anniversaries are worth celebrating like it's very easy for me to like reach this November 2nd date or November 3rd date and thinking like ugh, like oh it's coming around it's been two years but instead go this is another fucking birthday like I did it for one year (laughs) and I did it for two years and I'm gonna eat just a fat ass donut and hopefully nothing gives me a seizure I will like we said earlier seize the day (laughs) on my seizure disorder anniversary but I just think it's really funny that that we do that, that we give anniversaries to the things and, and moments in our lives that are meaningful, whether it's good or bad. 
Absolutely. And I will be right there with you eating a huge donut. I love food as a reward, which is, yeah, not a great habit, but whatever. Okay. We've been through some stuff. We've seen some stuff we're going to eat. Whatever we want. Um, Somebody was just asking me what I'm going to do for my anniversary, and I do have some plans, and I'm very excited about them. Good. Um, And they include a lot of self-care and for sure having quite a few Bloody Marys, I think, and some brunch. So that'll be what's happening for me on that day. Um, Okay, but taking it back to our boy, Thich Nhat Hanh, taking it back to him. So you introduced me to him. And I absolutely love his writing, his way of thinking, the whole, because he's a, he's a, he's a monk, right? He's the game, game, game fuck changer. I mean, it's so cliche to say this, but it's like, you know, you, it's so easy to get caught up in the moment, but no, like get caught up in that moment. Like it is that one moment in your life that will never, ever happen again and mirror it the same and his philosophy of life is just look at everything around you and everything is so fucking perfect like everything is so beautiful and the way that he teaches you about your soul and your inner spirit like I never had to think about it this way that like and a lot of people would disagree with me on this but like your body is your cavity this is my cavity. This is my, this is my crustacean. <laughs> like, and, but what's important to me is, is what's inside. So I believe, I do believe in a higher power. I do believe that there is a heaven. Um, and I personally believe that my soul, so my body stays here on, in the dirt, like my body is here on earth, but my soul inside of me is the thing that transcends into heaven. And he has such a great philosophy about that as far as just like, treat your body right because it's your body but your body is not isn't actually who you are inside and so trying to like think about that mentality is kind of trippy at first (laughs) where you're just like oh like I'm just a soul with eyes and hands (laughs) and it's weird thinking about it that way but he also just teaches you like everything has a soul everything there's something within everything that is just so beautiful that you just need to kind of breathe it in Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I could go, I could go on for hours about this, (laughs) so many hours about this, but it's just all about your soul, all about caring for your, your insides before you look at the mirror and go, oh, I'm fat and this and that. And, you know, it just, it really, really embraces that and in the present moment as well. So that present moment is so fucking important (laughs) and living my life until this point was always like. Oh, I should have done that yesterday. So now I'll think about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, five years ago. What a, how embarrassing is that? I, I've never in my entire life never thought about the moment. And I'm always just constantly thinking about what in the next hour I have to do this. Oh, fuck. I didn't do that yesterday. What kind of life is that where I'm constantly like, <laughs> like juggling between what happened yesterday and tomorrow? Like, because it's just going to happen again the next day. And it's just like, did I even for one moment go, Right now, it's it's just really nice. <laughs> and no, I didn't. I did not. So I love that you're talking about all the internal things that it's given you because he's given me a lot of things externally, actually. So mm-hmm. such as how beautiful, how fortunate we are, 
and how beautiful it is outside and how beautiful it is that a tree that I can see right now has so many different limbs and there's all these leaves and these leaves have managed to get sunshine and water and grow and be green. Like that's, yeah. he's giving me a lot of appreciation for yeah. how you can really make the world so simple and beautiful. And he's taught me things that have changed the way I live life. And I'll give two examples that I can think of. Yeah. One he talks about creating novelty in your life because routines are yeah. really a helpful way to live. So now yeah. uh, there's two different ways I can take to work. And so I will kind of like rotate between those two. And when I drive, I try to see something new, even if it's just yeah. like a miscolored shingle on somebody's roof. And mm -hmm. it really brings you into the present and makes you like look at things around you and not distract you. And then the other thing that I've gotten so much from his teachings is being mindful in everything that you do. So I feel like <laughs> automatically when you think of that, people are like, oh, so what are you going to do? Walk around at like zero miles an hour and never look at your phone and, you know, eat only rice. And that's not what it is. It's doing small <laughs> things like this, this is this is a like the smallest change I've made. But this is being mindful. Okay, so in my car, which I spend a lot of time in um, because I'm lucky because <laughs> um, not everybody can do that, um, you know, I have the screen and it's all touch and, you know, you can navigate on there. And it's yeah. a touch screen. So I, you know, I used to press it kind of hard and like point and press at the things kind of hard. But now I like barely graze the buttons because it's a touch screen and that's what I can do. And so that's, I mean, it's, it's so simple, but it's mindfully yeah. touching things. It's mindfully walking. It's yeah. instead of looking at your phone, when you're going from downstairs to upstairs at the office, it's taking each step and, you know, being like, okay, this is, this is so great that these stairs are holding me up and my legs are yeah. moving me up and down and all that. So anyways, it's, yeah. it's made me a mindful person and also Mindful does not mean you meditate every day for no, however much time. That's such a no. huge barrier for people to think that, oh, I can't be mindful. I don't meditate. But now I'm in the habit of doing it. I don't do it every single day, but I, tr I was yeah. try to do it most days. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's amazing. I will link the books that I have. Um, but thank you for introducing to me to him. That's, you're, that's the best ever. It was so ironic that you started talking about that and then my phone was dying. I knew that's what was happening when <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> that is so ironic and hilarious. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. This is the worst time for this to get brought up. But yeah, whenever there is, that's so fucking funny. Yeah. Whenever to your point of like where you are in the moment, like if I'm ever feeling anxiety, I literally go, where are my feet? And I just go where are my feet and I try to just feel what the ground is like under my feet. And that's how I ground myself. I literally, quite literally ground myself. And so I just sit there. I'm like, I'm having, I'm getting anxious. Oh my gosh. What if this is a seizure? And there's another book I'll need to I'll give to you. Um, but I was just, I literally will just say, where are my feet? Where are my feet? And I just focus on my feet. Um, and in that moment of like, whenever I have like, what if moments, like, what if this, what if that, what if this, that is you not being present, you're letting that fight or flight system within you kind of take over. And it's kind of, I mean, it's all science too. Like that's literally your amygdala, like going to your brain to say like, oop, warning, 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 warning. 
But then you have to learn to train your mind, literally train your mind to just be like, let's just be wise for a second. You know, let's just, let's just back up. Let's just, we know it's there. The what ifs are always going to come, but let's just be a little wiser right now. (laughs) Where are your feet? Great. Are you in a safe space? Cool. Are you going to have intrusive thoughts? Yep. Is that okay? Sure. Like it's literally (laughs) just like slow down back up. Is there a fire? No. Where are your feet? And it helps me. I would say like, I mean, it's not a hundred percent proof, but it helps me 90% of the time. When I take Roman for a walk, I try to like every other time I take him for a walk, I try not to have my headphones in and listen to somebody and just enjoy, look at his little feet going and the, the, I'm so thankful for these sneakers that I'm wearing. I mean, we probably sound really woo-woo right now, but it's really, it's, it makes life so enjoyable when you have a conscious thought about things that you're touching or what you're ingesting or moments that you're a part of. So it's been, he's been amazing and his teachings have been wonderful. And then for some reason, it also teaches me about like, I don't know why this came to mind, but like, how things are made. Like whenever I eat now, I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this food came from somebody who made it. It, it came from somebody like a farmer. And oh my gosh, they had to, you know, they had to mend to their tent to their farm and like they put so much work into it for us. And now I'm consuming it. And it came from the hands of a very hard work, working woman, man, or however they identify, but like they worked so hard for it. And like what a beautiful story of how 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 corn cob got on your plate. Like it is just like, oh my gosh, like how beautiful was that process? But nobody really sits there and thinks about it. But like now I start doing that where I'm like, this is amazing. Like this, this is such good. <laughs> it's actually a really good way to bring it all the way back to us talking at the beginning about invisible baggage yeah. because when you walk into an office where you likely go every day or whatever yeah. part of your routine it is where you see similar people, like you never know what it took yeah. for them to get there. So you might as well be nice. You might as well be kind. You might as well, you know, lend a smile, etc. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of being present, believe it or not, we are about to have burned through oh 80 gosh. minutes of doing this because my second Zoom little oh notification gosh. came so up. Funny. So thank you for doing this. Uh, you crack me up because you were texting me all your worries and stuff. And you, as usual, as we were in college, as we are now, wonderfully spoken. No, you're... You're amazing. So before this, um, before this ends, I want to ask, is there anything else that you wanted to share or have be a part of your story on here on the Facing Fear podcast? I don't think that there's really anything that I missed. I'm being present right now and I'm not trying to think about the future now that we've been talking about it. No, but if for any reason there ever needs to be another session of mindfulness and maybe that could be our own little journey of like did you read this book and like let's we can make our own little book club if you want and go from there and talk about it and and just digest it well girl I love you so much I appreciate you we have we have our friendship has been so amazing so I appreciate appreciate you so much I'm glad it I mean I I hate that you're going through this and I know that you hate that I'm going through this but I I love that you're also going through it (laughs) 
Same. Because what, like, we have a bond that we would never, ever have had otherwise. And we're both better for it, whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love you. Kintsugi, that is the word of the day. Take those imperfections and show them you're making their bitch. So, yeah, it's all good. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Facing Fear podcast. I'd love to know what you think, so please leave a review on Apple's podcast app, or you can go to the Facing Fear with Sarah Facebook and leave a review there as well. If you or someone you know has a story of overcoming fear to pursue their own definition of success, please submit yourself or that person as a guest. You can do that at facingfearwithsarah.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the social media world. You can find the show everywhere at Facing Fear with Sarah or communicate directly by emailing hello at facingfearwithsarah.com. You made it to the end of the episode. So I'm gonna give you a little surprise. I was recently published in the Wildfire Magazine. It is the first and only publication for and by those who are too young to be affected by breast cancer. And you can go get this issue at a discount. So visit wildfirecommunity.org and use code wildfire15 or even better, use the link in my social media, in the show notes today. And if you use that particular link and the code, you can not only save yourself money, but you can also earn me a little bit of money as I get a kickback from every purchase used under Sarah's link. So go check it out in the show notes. The issue is themed the new normal and This is relatable for anybody who's been through some kind of storm in life and is trying to figure out who they are and who and what and how and why life goes on afterwards. So check it out. Go visit wildfirecommunity.org. Use code wildfire15 to save on your version of a print or digital copy of the latest issue called The New Normal. Thank you so, so much for your support.